Jump to James chapter 3. So I just put a mint in and now I'm committed to the end of it. It's a chewy draggy. Who knows what a chewy draggy is? Mentos. Um, if you get a Mentos packet on the front says chewy draggy. I have no idea what that means, but that's what they are. James chapter 3. Um, are we good this morning? We're good? Awesome. Um, just wanted to share, I guess, a couple of thoughts off script this morning. And, and sometimes I like to do this as just a way of burying my heart and getting you inside my head a little bit. Um, I, don't, what, I, have, I have 25 minutes or so to, to teach our entire church community once a week. And so um, I take that portion of time quite sacredly in the fact that you know, there's, there's no other time where we can get together like this in this sort of number and the, the scope of what we have is so precious. And I take my role as a, as a shepherd, as a pastor, really, really seriously. And so I don't just want to come here and give you a, a lifestyle message and um, give you five keys to be whatever. Um, there's plenty of great TED Talks out there from people who are far more um, experienced than I in those particular areas of your lifestyle. But um, what, what I want to do is, in my heart, is to unpack God's word for you. And, and I know that sometimes when we read the Bible, it can be like looking at an x-ray. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like, it's, that's a skeleton. I've got no idea. And we can read and go, yeah, there's words there, there's sentences, but I really don't know what that is sort of painting. And and I kind of see my role a little bit as going, all right, let's take this x-ray picture and let's open it up so we can see how all the parts fit together and unpack that for you in a way that is life-giving. Because I believe the Bible is God's word. I believe it is without error. And I believe it is useful for us today. And so I'm never going to stray too far from Scripture because that's going to get into my personal opinion. I'm going to be, that makes me become a soapbox guy. And, and so I just want to preach the Bible to you. And I guarantee you, if we just stay in the, 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 the boundaries of the text, it's going to give us all the keys we need to help the lifestyle that we are looking to live with God. And so James is one of those books that um, hopefully as we unpack this over these eight or so weeks we're doing it, we will look back in years to come and remember the book of James is about practical Christian living. And throughout this series, and I've said this as the sort of tagline for this series is we're going to be confronted with stuff. Our, our Christian lifestyle, our ethics, our morality, our, our behaviours is, is going to be put as a mirror in front of us. And it can be quite confronting for some of us who, who come to church on a Sunday, put on the Christian mask and pretend that everything's awesome. And then we go back home on a Monday and live relatively unaffected by the gospel. Come back on Sunday, grab that mask out of the drawer, put it back on again and away we go. James is going to hold a mirror to that and go, you know what, we can't just be hearers of the word only. We've got to be doers. Our faith without corresponding works is actually dead. But the whole point is not for us to feel ashamed or condemned, but to be inspired to step up to a greater level of discipleship and followership to Jesus to grow in our likeness of him. That is the point. And so we've looked at a bunch of stuff over the past few weeks, looked at trials, how... 
We will all face trials of various kinds, but um, we, sh- we need not shy away or get frustrated about trials, but see that trials are actually an opportunity to strengthen our faith. If we lean into God and see what he's trying to do in us and through us in the midst of trials, we'll see that our faith actually grows. It doesn't wane. We looked at temptation, how God doesn't tempt us, nor can he be tempted, but um, we do get tempted, which means old hairy legs is out there trying to sabotage our faith, derail us from a, a, a healthy, vibrant relationship with God and take us off course. And so there's a spiritual battle at play that we must be privy to and be aware of so that we can actually stay on course and not fall by the wayside when temptation comes. We looked at pure religion. Pure, pure religion is not just attendance on a Sunday. Um, pure religion is not just giving your tithe or serving. Pure religion is looking after the widows and the orphans. Pure religion, pure Christianity is being with people in the midst of their troubles. That's what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. As I said before, are we doers of the word or hearers only when it comes to our Christian faith? Are we passive or are we active? And James would say, hey, it's probably best that we're actually active and not just passive in this thing. Jesus didn't passively go to a cross for our sins. He, he actively went there willingly for us. We looked at the sin of partiality, which is not discriminating. It's people who um, look different to us, behave different to us, speak different or believe different to us, uh, loving all people. Faith without works is dead. And then last week we looked at taming the tongue, which is a great message and a good reminder too because uh, our, our words shape our world. And the words we speak really create the world that we experience. And if we're not happy with the life we live, we're going to change the narrative of our mouth. And we do that by changing what's in our heart. And we change what's in our heart by changing what goes into our eyes and into our ears. So who we listen to, what we read, the influences that we surround ourselves with actually shape what we believe and what lives in our heart. And whatever lives in our heart, the Bible says, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And from the mouth flow all the issues of life. And so we, we will create a world around us based on what's in here. So we've got to change what's in here if we want something different out there. So we're going to shift gears, enter into James chapter 3, verse 13, and to verse 18. But before we do that, let's pray. God, we give this time to you. We thank you for these five verses that we are going to tiptoe through this morning. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would give me the words to communicate this truth in such a way that would bring life to our hearts and our minds. Lord, I pray that I would get out of the way so that you can flow through me this morning. And would you give us all open minds and hearts to receive whatever it is you have for us today so that we can continue to grow in your likeness and in your image. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's read it together. James chapter 3, verse 13 to 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Any takers this morning would like to raise your hand and say, yes, that's me. Who is wise? No, okay. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, 
open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Okay. A lot going on there. And it's a bit overlapping. And like I said before, a passage like this can seem like an x-ray. You look in and go, yeah, I can see the skeleton. I've got no idea. Really? That's the pancreas? Really? That's the... Oh, wow, okay. Uh, So this morning, hopefully, we can get some clarity on what this particular portion of Scripture is saying. Let's start with with verse 13. That was brilliant. See, it just faded away. Gosh, it's like we rehearsed that. Who is wise and understanding among you? James is offering almost a rhetorical question to get the readers. Now keep in mind that James is not writing to a specific church. He's writing to the general church. He's writing to all Christians from all places at all times. Asking a generalized question. uh, Who amongst you is wise and has understanding? So he's sort of getting people to think. And most of us would go, yeah, I reckon that's me. I might not be the smartest guy in the room or the sharpest tool in the shed. but, But I'm pretty wise. And we've got to be careful that we jump to answering that too quickly because then James is about to unpack what it actually means biblically and in the kingdom of God to be wise and have understanding. So he asks this question to get us thinking, get the juices flowing, knowing that he's about to reveal what that actually means. And then uh, the, next ver- the next part says, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. That can sound a bit confusing. What essentially that means is our good conduct in the spirit of meekness reveals wisdom. Our good conduct, our behavior in the spirit of meekness reveals that we are actually wise. Have you ever been in in an instance, a situation where there's a heated discussion happening around you. It could be an argument, it could be just general banter, it could be about politics or sports or religion, it could be about the weather and, and there's, there's arguments going back and forth and there's an, there's an old guy or girl, doesn't really matter, in the room and, and they're just sitting there listening and they're listening to these arguments go back and forth and, and people passionately trying to convince the other about their point of view and why they're right and it's back and forth and it's like tennis match and it's getting a little bit heated and then all of a sudden they'll ask the old guy, what do you reckon? And he'll stop. And he'll think, having assessed all the carnage he's just watched. And he'll answer with a couple of words or maybe a couple of sentences that will completely diffuse that situation and bring clarity to everyone involved. And they'll be like, huh, that's amazing. And it just puts that whole volatile situation to rest that's wisdom that's what James is talking about here that is good conduct in the spirit of meekness reveals that you are wise where you don't get swept up in the chaos and disorder in fact you are slow to speak quick to listen James already told us that in chapter one so that you can it can be revealed that you actually have wisdom to bring peace to a situation verse 14 Bingo, bongo, bango. There it is. He then says, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes from above, 
But this is earthly, spiritual, sorry, unspiritual and demonic. That's heavy, right? If we live our life with selfish ambition, bitter jealousy in our hearts, that, that's not the wisdom that God is giving for his people. That's, that's earthly. That's fleshly. That's unspiritual. That's, and demonic is a huge word to use there. But again, his words, not mine. For where jealousy and self-ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. And this reminded me of what Paul writes in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 6, where he says, For the mind set on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. That when we put our emphasis on our feelings, our preferences, what we want, our desires, our ambitions, our jealousies, it actually leads to things of the earthly nature, the unspiritual nature, the demonic nature. The, uh, the, uh, it brings about a sense of disorder and every vile practice. In other words, it brings about ultimately death. But to focus our mind on the spirit on what the wisdom that actually comes from above is life and peace. Because he continues to say, um, uh, verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Jealousy and selfish ambition are not indicators of the wisdom that comes from above. As I said, in fact, they are Spiritual, unspiritual, demonic, whatever. So this week I was reading a little bit about a condition that I hope you aren't too familiar with on a very personal level. It's a condition called narcissistic personality disorder. It's, I guess it's the clinical um, title for someone who would be a classic narcissist, who everything is about them. And, and as I read through this article about this condition, um, and I read the characteristics of or the main characteristics of this condition, it became really, really clear to me that um, narcissistic personality disorder is actually the antithesis of discipleship. It's the opposite. It's, it's, it's the thing that will stop your pro progress and development as a Christian faster than anything else. And the sad truth is I have seen many, many beautiful men and women who, now I wouldn't diagnose them because I'm not a professional, but I, I could identify some of those same characteristics in their personality with this, this sense of narcissism. And they've also, with that comes this inability or unwillingness to confront these issues, deal with these issues, process this stuff. And unfortunately, it has been to their demise and detriment because they haven't laid these things down in order to pick up their cross and follow Jesus. And these things have actually been their undoing. So here are the common characteristics of, of a narcissist. Excessive need for admiration. They just have to have the attention. In a room of people, they just want it all on them. Me, me, me. They just suck all the energy in their direction. They have a disregard for the feelings of others. They don't care who they step on as long as they get to where they're going and get what they want to get. They have an inability to handle criticism. You can't correct them. They're always right. It's their way or the highway and there's no middle ground. They are always correct because it's all about them. And fourthly, they have a sense of entitlement. 
They're entitled to stuff. So excessive need for admiration, disregard for others' feelings, inability to handle criticism, and a sense of entitlement. And it kind of reminds me, as I read this, it reminded me that I was preparing for this message that this is kind of the kind of person that James is referring to, that has bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in their hearts. It's all about them. They're jealous of what other people want and they're on a selfish mission to get whatever they can get because it's about them. And that is not wise living. That is earthly, fleshly, unspiritual, demonic. And your life will end in all sorts of vile... Whatever it says up there. Thank you. That. Read it at home. And this idea, right, is a precursor to what James is about to say in chapter 4, verse 6, where he says, God resists the proud, but he gives his grace to the humble. He resists narcissistic personalities and and behavioural traits, but he pours his grace to those who are humble and will yield to him, those who are teachable. Then goes to the same verse 18, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So when we become peacemakers, we're not jealous, we're not selfish. When we become peacemakers, the peace we make becomes seeds that are sown to reap a harvest of righteousness. Let me say that again. When we choose to be peacemakers, every time we make peace in a situation which takes humility, not selfishness, when we make peace, that is a seed sown into our life and into our future that we will reap a harvest of righteousness. What is righteousness? It is the rightness of God. That's what, that's what righteousness literally means, the rightness of God. And us as peacemakers will, will bring about the rightness of God in our lives and through our lives if we choose to be people that make peace. If we choose to be, dare I say it, a Christian. So the peacemaker here in verse 18, right, those who make peace, is what James is describing in verse 13 when he talks about good conduct in works of meekness. He's talking about being a peacemaker. And when he says, who is wise understanding among you? He's saying, well, those who are peacemakers, not those who make everything about themselves. It's the humble, the peacemaker that is truly wise, not those who are proud or have narcissistic characteristics. Essentially, true wisdom is to live in such a way that our behaviour brings peace in order to cease arguments, whereas jealousy and selfish ambition actually start arguments and put an end to peace. Right? So peacemaking will stop arguments. Selfish ambition and jealousy will start them. One brings peace, one takes it away. Are we truly wise? And that's what we're going to jump into next week, and Steve Farrell is going to unpack this more as it talks about arguments and, and stuff like that and how to deal with those in chapter 4 next week. So keeping in mind with this idea of peacemaking, Jesus said in in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers. 
And then he puts a little promise on the end of it. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Who else was called the son of God? Jesus. Correct answer. Well done. Ten points. So, the heartbeat of our church is to be with Jesus and be like Jesus. So peacemakers are called the sons of God. So if we make peace, we also will be like Jesus and we will be called sons of God. So we become like Jesus when we make peace. So to put legs on that mission, vision, heartbeat statement on the wall is simply to we're going to be like Jesus, do what Jesus did, do what Jesus said. And Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, they'll be called the sons of God. We will be like him when we make peace. He is the Prince of Peace. But peace, peace is costly. Peace, the price to peace is humility. Because Jesus humbled himself and became man. Humbled himself to be put on a cross to die for the sins of men. Humbled himself so that through his actions he would make peace once and for all between God and men. So the price to peace is humility. So for us to be peacemakers, we have to be humble people, not prideful people. God will pour his grace out to the humble, but he will resist those who are proud. So we've seen how the foolish or the unwise are defined by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. So then, what defines a peacemaker? How do we become a peacemaker? I think verse 17 gives us a bit of a a sample of the recipe for peacemaking. It says to pursue, pursue purity. So our heart and our mind should be pure. Going back to last week, taming the tongue. But our tongue is only an overflow of what's already in our heart and in our mind. So we're going to be conscious of the fact that what are we surrounding ourselves with? Are we surrounding ourselves with voices and people and spaces and influences that are pure or toxic? A peacemaker has a pure heart. They're peaceable, so they're not defensive or highly volatile. A peacemaker is, is gentle. They're kind to people. A peacemaker is open to reason. We can have conversation. We're not shutting down arguments because we are right. We are the truth. We have the truth, but he is Jesus. We aren't the truth. So we can be open to discussion with people and open to reason. We're not proud or arrogant. The peacemaker is full of mercy and good fruits. What's mercy and good fruits about? It's about being others-orientated. We don't have mercy for ourselves. The mercy we have is so that we can show it to others and be merciful to them and good fruits, the fruit of the Spirit, to bless and be kind to other people. The peacemaker is impartial. It doesn't take sides and show prejudice. And it's sincere. It's genuine and it's not fake. So once we mix these ingredients together, we will start to see a harvest of righteousness in our world we will start to see the rightness of God flow in us and through us as we prove ourselves to be truly wise and have understanding because we are humble peacemaking people 
And there I will stop and there I will pray. Father, I thank you for this passage today. Lord, would you speak to our hearts and give us the boldness to confront areas in our life that may be the antithesis to our discipleship and followership of you, God. Would you confront areas in our world where we are selfish, where we're jealous, where we're unteachable, where we make things about us, God, where we are entitled or feel like everything is about us. Would you reveal those things in our heart and help us to surrender them to you, to, to cast those things over to you, that you would bring healing in those spaces, that we would not be the type of person that is proud or arrogant or anything like that, but we would be able to be sons of God by being peacemakers. Help us be about others. Help us be about your mission, your purpose. Help us be truly wise people. Lord, would you genuinely help us? Lord, this is not a pursuit of the will. This is not a pursuit of our our self-discipline and inner strength. Lord, we need your help. Holy Spirit, we need your guidance and your power to help us be more humble and more like you, Jesus, and bring peace. And Lord, we surrender to you so that you do your good work in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.